hello everyone. It's Saturday afternoon, and I have to say, I think it's been a while since we've had a Saturday show. I know. I can't remember the last time, Greg. I can't remember. It's been have a while. We, have we had one this year, or has it? No, we've had one this year. I just don't think we've had one in the last like six months. Quite a bit. So glad to be here on a Saturday. I'm actually at NerdCon in Mont Bellevue. Of course, Amy has a few things to say to me about that, I'm sure. <laughs> For another time. Yes. <laughs> Not even actually. Greg knows, Greg knows where I stand, so it's okay. Yes. So we would like to welcome Marlene Sharp to the show. So, hello, Hi. Marlene, how are you? Good. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. So much fun. So much. So where are you? Not. I don't need your address. I just want to know time zone. Time zone. Are you like <laughs> Pacific time? Are you I, Eastern? Where are you at? I am Pacific time. Yes, oh. I'm in Los Angeles. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm. I'm getting quite good at my time zones. I'm just saying. I have now acquired. I know. Most time zones, at least in the United States. Where are you guys? We're in Texas. Texas. Oh, okay, okay. My mm -hmm. my brother and my parents live in Texas. Oh, nice. Uh, what part of Texas? Yeah. Texas is uh, huge. Houston. Yeah, my parents just moved to Houston uh, maybe like a month ago after living in New Orleans for 100 years. Wow. Um, Greg uh, lives like right outside of Houston. I live in a small city um the best way to describe it is i live where texas a&m university is so i live in bryan college station oh, okay yeah that's the best way it's the best way to describe it because if i just say bryan college station nobody knows what i'm talking about so that's it's a small town i live in a small town yes and i'm actually on the northeast side of houston oh, okay a little, All bit right. farther, little bit farther north a little bit country five here Nice. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I, you went to school for, I think, musical acting as well, from what I've read? Yes, I, I have a, a bachelor's degree in drama communications, and then I actually went to grad school for musical theater. So I have an MFA in musical theater. Ooh, nice, nice. So what was that? Does that has, has that always been like a calling for you, or is that just something that you wanted to dabble in? What was that like for you? It it was a calling, all right. Uh, yes, it, ca it called me all the way to San Diego. My my um, my collaborator Blanche here is is emphasizing and agreeing. She's all often like a Greek chorus in the background, so you you might hear her uh commentary from time to time but anyway yes yeah my original goal was to act to perform full-time and um it's still a goal it's just not really the way that i i make my living and um but yes i did study it quite a bit nice i also saw that you're you've done a lot of production crew work mm -hmm. so yeah. A lot of yeah. There's some people watching that would like to hear about that. Yeah. So most of my career has been spent working on development. So it's it's behind the scenes, not necessarily on set. 
So I, I have done, I, I sometimes tell people that I've done every job that there is to do in show business because that's, that's kind of what show business is. It's a, a hustle and you do lots of things to stay employed and keep employable. But um, early on in my career, I fell into animation and what's called merchandise driven intellectual property. So things that are based on video games and toys and the, the content on the screen is really meant to get audiences excited and want to buy video games and toys. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. so nice. I work on, and, and I've also worked on a lot of content from other countries. So uh, lots of things from Japan and Korea. Um, I'm working with an Indian company now. And um, again, Blanche has been here for all of it. She's been in the trenches really for like the last couple of years due to work from home and stuff. But um, but yeah, so de development is, is, the, is all the lead up to production. So um, it's a lot of working with writers on scripts and visual development, like for the look of a show, especially in animation, that's very time consuming and very important to get the designs just right. Well, mm. Amy would know a lot about working with writers. I have to give her that. Oh, really? Oh, I work, well, I work with a lot. I work with authors of, oh. all, of all realms and like illustrators that do like graphic novels, things like that. So I understand that hundred percent. I've worked with them for a really long time. So oh. I are you in the publishing, publishing business? Um, so I work with publishers. I'm in the book marketing business. So oh. I'm a, a social media, digital marketing, book marketing company. So oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so I dabble in that world quite often, quite often. <laughs> that's my second, that's my day job that I, you know, I own and I fire myself quite frequently actually from that. I do very much that, 100%. Now, with the, like you said, you're like more of getting before the, before the show gets in production and all that. Explain with you working with writers, do you get the story? Or are you telling them the story? Are you advising them the story? That's a good question. And it really depends. It depends on the project. Every project is different. So um, I'm working on something right now that is based on a book trilogy. So the books were already written. Um, it, it's called Young Captain Nemo. So there were three books that were written and, and published by Macmillan, public, big publishing company. And so the company that I work for, we optioned the books and we are turning them into a uh, trilogy, an animated movie trilogy. So before we could do anything, we had to option the rights to the book. So um, I'm, I've also had a lot of involvement in business and legal affairs. So just untangling the rights and uh, securing them and making sure everything is uh, acceptable in terms of legal legalese and rights and copyrights and trademarks, that can often take a while. I, I think the longest negotiation I was ever involved in um, was about three years. 
So three years before we could even start writing or we're hiring writers or what have you, anything like that. So um, yeah, and then um, in the case of something that has source material, like a graphic novel or, or a novel or a life story or anything like that, some, sometimes the, the writer of the original material is skilled at writing for the screen but sometimes not, or sometimes if they are experienced in that regard, they aren't necessarily uh, an ace at the genre that you're going for, mm -hmm. or, or, or they're busy. So oftentimes it's necessary to hire another writer to adapt the first writer's book and turn it into a script or scripts. And then um, there are also materials that need to be created along the way to pitch to various stakeholders such as toy companies or um, distribution companies or sometimes even name actors if you want a big famous actor in your movie you have to sell them on the idea of your movie and so you have to make powerpoint presentations and so forth, lots of visual razzle dazzle just to get people interested in and excited. So that takes another set of writers who might be skilled at doing salesy kind of things, PowerPoints and one sheets and posters and, and so forth. So um, there's quite a bit that goes into making, making content, specifically TV and films before you can even get started with the stuff that the audience sees on the screen. Oh yeah. That it sounds like, you know, so I bet you the process, or I guess I'm wondering what the process. So that process probably would that take like six months or are we looking at like years for that? Oh, could be years. Yeah. Just because just the, um, negotiating contracts. So like getting the rights to something that exists, that's, that's, one contractual negotiation that's going on but then if you want to hire another writer to or or artists visual development artists freelancers let's say um those are other negotiations with other people's agents or for the individuals or their lawyers or whomever so to assemble a team is quite a bit of effort in itself and I know it doesn't seem very creative just to talk about it here, but sometimes it does take creativity to convince people and uh, to, to get get the budget into the place where everybody's happy. That often takes a different kind of creativity. Oh, yeah. It's like the art of like persuasion and manipulation, <laughs> right? And that, you know, those those two words together, I always feel like are such bad words like people associate them in such negative ways but that's things that like every like we do those things every day we persuade or manipulate people. exactly just yeah, it's just life it's just tuesday <laughs> right yeah it's just tuesday like billboards do that every day newspapers you know walking outside seeing a sign social media blasts on your phone right like it's all those right. things but it is a very creative aspect to go into it because you really have to get it and you know we're not going down a criminal minds rabbit hole but you really have to get into the minds of what your target market wants to see and that's a whole other 
creativity. I do all of that. So that's why I'm like, you have to get in the mind of your, you know, consumer or your target market and what they would want to see. And then you can make it creative and so in that way. To me, I find that to be the hardest thing to do. You know, honestly, I find that to be so hard to blend yourself or be a chameleon in different target markets, you know? So yeah, I could see that taking time. Yes. And then if you work with big name celebrities or uh, some, sometimes it's not the person you, or people you see on the screen that are the stars. It's a, might be a star director or a star writer or, or the intellectual property itself is a star because it's so iconic and it's been around for so long and what have you. That takes a, an extra amount of TLC <laughs> to get mm -hmm. through through that um one of the most difficult processes that i went through um a few years back was with paul mccartney and uh i can't say that that was pleasant it was quite um <laughs> took took a, uh, some years and and probably killed some brain cells <laughs> on my part but uh but yeah i mean when you well, somebody said this to me, actually, it was the, the former head of Disney Studios said this to me. He said, uh, the worst thing about working with Paul McCartney is that he's Paul McCartney. So mm -hmm. uh, all the Paul McCartney-ness of him comes along with everything that he does, whether it's a, a movie or a song or an interview or anything like that. And it's just a lot of baggage. So sometimes it can be good. It, it certainly, you don't have to explain to people who you're working with. So there's that name recognition, but there's a whole lot of other things that go along with it. Yeah, oh, for sure. I can see that. I can definitely see Paul McCartney being a, a headache. <laughs> sure, wait. Mean, one of the Beatles, for God's sakes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And sometimes people, well, like like Paul McCartney and and, and other folks too. They'll it, you're not necessarily dealing with with them person to person. Sometimes you do. Um, Paul McCartney used to come to our office a lot, but uh, we dealt with his his people. And sometimes the people are really <laughs> they're even more difficult than the celebrity. Is all the the sur surrounding folks and ma managers and intermediaries those are the really uh those are the the hardcore tough people well i think mainly because they do want to protect their people too yeah and, and everybody's terrified to lose their job yes yeah. yes 100 on that yep now can we talk about the marketing aspect for a little bit Sure. Sure. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> it's your show. <laughs> well, technically, you're here with us, so it's our show. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so, if there's anything that you want to discuss, feel free to tell us, and we'll discuss it. Okay. Noted. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd like to find out more of the marketing because I think you said that you, if I read correctly, you deal with. Uh, like the toys and stuff like that coming out. I'd like to hear about those. Yeah, well, when I 
referred to merchandise-driven entertainment, it, 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 in that uh, label, it, it tells you a lot about what the purpose of the screen content is. And it's, it's almost as if it's taking the place of a traditional TV commercial. So instead of a company, let's say um, Hasbro, and ha Hasbro owns Power Rangers, which is a, a, a franchise that I've worked on before. Um, so Hasbro's main business is selling toys and then also um, they license out the rights to other things, to other companies that have those specialties. So they'll license apparel rights to a, a, an apparel company or publishing rights to a, a book publisher or, you know, there's thousands of licenses that could, could, be, um, could be parceled out. But Hasbro's main um, reason for being is to make toys and games. So they, they want to, in order to recoup the investment that they make in the, in the property, because they did pay several million dollars to buy it from another company, Bandai, the original owners um, a few years back, they, they need to sell toys and games. They need to have a clear way to see the future that they will be earning money and they can justify this investment. So, um, so oftentimes they will apportion part of their marketing budget to creating content that's not just a sunk cost. So a sunk cost would be like a, a 30 second commercial that airs on TV around Christmas time. And after Christmas time, nobody's really gonna wanna see it anymore and it'll, it'll be quickly dated and uh, irrelevant. But, but commercials do cost a lot of money. So um, they can be infect effective, but sometimes not. So sometimes, uh, a, a significant portion of the budget is 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 put into creating content that will have more of a life of its own afterwards and and can be monetized for years to come so so um in the case of like power rangers there there is a significant part of the fan base that is interested in seeing those old episodes and they can be rerun and they have nostalgia value and so forth so, um, so in a, in a sense, the TV shows and the movies are their own marketing, but yet there's a bit of a catch 22 because if you just put it, put out the TV shows and the, and the movies and, and nobody knows about them, then no one will see them. And then, <laughs> so you have to market the marketing and, um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's very expensive. It's, it's it's the sport of kings really um because there's a, a lot of costs especially with toy companies because they have to not only invest in the physical manufacturing of the toys but also the packaging uh, like every, every every little thing is carefully orchestrated and that's a huge investment and then just creating whether it's if the money is put into tv commercials or um, social media campaigns or, or creating cartoons that are going to run on Netflix or Cartoon Network or wherever. It's all an investment before they ever start selling the toys. So, and then it usually takes about, um, 
to develop and, and produce an animated show, if everything's going really well and everybody's going, you know, get, getting along and there's no major creative differences, it's about 18 months to, to develop and then produce um, just to get to the first episode. That's not like a whole season. That's just like to get to episode one and then, you know, start delivering the episodes on a every six or eight week basis. Um, but um, yeah, what else was I going to say about that? I don't know. I'm just blathering on. It's a long and arduous process. And uh, to toy making and cartoons are, are very, <laughs> very much. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. The, the lead time for a toy is about two years. So there's a, a whole lot of visual development that goes into making the molds the, the you know, the plastic is poured into and uh, all, all kinds of things. The, the look of the the toy, the mechanics, if there's engineering involved, especially like all those transforming toys. If you think about it, those are feats of engineering in these little, <laughs> these little <Yeah>. vessels. <laughs> and uh, if there are electronics involved, that, that all needs to be worked out. And video games too, of course, there's a lot of testing and, and quality control and all that stuff. But still the, the franchise owner must be mindful that whole time of, of putting hints out into the marketplace and very strategically building excitement so that when the toys and the content hits the masses that people will want to watch and they'll they'll continue to watch so it's a it's a lot of work now that brings up another subject because that's interesting because you were talking about the owners and all that I guess with part of what you do, you actually have to keep the owners calm and patient as well, <laughs> saying we're working on this and explain the timeline to them. Yes, it's it's a it's often a balancing act. I've worked for I've worked for stakeholders like I've, I've, I worked at Sega. I worked at Level Five, both creators of, of video games and and all the ancillaries that go along with that. But then I've also worked at companies that are either either work for higher vendors, like they'll be um, they it's companies that could be hired just on a contract basis to create animation or, you know, create a TV series. Or um, I've also worked with companies that are co-production partners. So they might have some portion of an investment in whatever the intellectual property is, but they won't own it outright 100%. So when there are several stakeholders like that, it gets really challenging because then all the stakeholders, no matter how big or small their stake is, everyone wants their voice to be heard. And inevitably, there will, there will be conflict at some point. It, it, you, it, it seems nearly impossible to get everybody to agree all of the time. So, and then once, if there's a disagreement, then that needs to be worked out before you can just proceed. So then oftentimes budgets and schedules get stretched out. And it, so you really never stop negotiating. You might be done with um, the, the initial contractual negotiations and the, the the stuff necessary to get the project started but it's like uh like what amy was saying it's like negotiating all day every day <laughs> even just to order lunch 
is often a big, huge deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like it's also one of those, like you kind of tapped on it too, where it's, you know, you can't make everybody happy. And so you're just trying to find a middle ground that everyone can tolerate, you know? Yes. <laughs> it's like, you know, okay, well, this doesn't work, but what can you tolerate? Like, what would be like, that's okay. Like you doesn't bother you either way. I find that to be this, from my experience, like the hardest and the most time consuming because that can take forever because you, it, my personality, like I've gave you my discount, my personality does not match with everybody. And so sometimes you're just like, you know, I just don't, I don't know if we can find a middle ground, like we need to, <laughs> but I just, I, I need a break from you. I just need a break, you know, like that's no, I, yes, I can only imagine that I, I, you know, from what I hear you saying, it sounds like that some of those things is what takes it. So I don't know. I like to say I'm just the person that puts out fires. I'm, that's yes. my job. You nailed it. That's it. We're all just firefighters. That's right? it. There you different, go. different costumes, but we're all fighting fires. Exactly. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking, y'all's medicine cabinet must be filled with Tylenol, ibuprofen, etc. Heavily <laughs> medicated. Yes. Yeah. That's how people function. I love it. So, how did you fall into your area of work that you do? It was through temping. Uh, I when I first came to Los Angeles after graduate school, I, I wanted to perform and I, and I did a lot of that, but I knew that I wasn't going to, at least at first, be able to make a living off of it. So I did some freelance production, um, production coordinator, production assistant type of things. And then um, I, I hit a wall with that where, yikes, I, I need something something else. I can't just live uh, so speculatively. So I, I registered with a temp agency that um, placed people in, it specialized in entertainment jobs. So that's that's one thing. I, I don't know how, how prevalent they are in Los Angeles now because COVID messed everything up. And um, yes. I, I don't, I'm guessing that a lot of the support staff work remotely now. And so people don't actually necessarily go to offices. But anyway, I registered with a temp agency that placed me physically in different entertainment offices all over the city. And then I had told them when I registered that I was looking for a permanent position. If anything came up, I would like to be considered for a full-time assistant type position because I wanted to act, but I was also interested in writing and producing and other aspects of the business. So, so that I that that's what I did. I, I put it out there, told the temp agency. So for a couple of weeks, they placed me at different um, different small production companies. One of which was Larry Flint's Hustler magazine. Don't know how that happened, but um, anyway, I did a couple of days there, <laughs> and um, then they placed me at a company called Renaissance Atlantic Films that was a very small consultancy owned by one of the gentlemen who was responsible for taking Power Rangers from Japan and bringing it to the rest of the world. So oh, cool. his, his name is Frank Ward, and he had been the president of Bandai America. And when he retired from that, because he was so successful with Power Rangers, he was awarded a 
lucrative consulting deal with Bandai. And um, so he advised them on all of their shows that had toy lines that, that were being sold through the, the TV series, essentially. So, um, so I landed in his office. I temped there for a couple of weeks. And then uh, he offered me the assistant position. And so I ended up working there for over five years. And um, I was, he only had two employees in the beginning. So it was myself and there was a director of development and then, <clears throat> and then Frank, and then the director of development left after about a year and a half. So then I inherited her job and other stuff. And so, uh, yeah, so, and then I kind of just stuck in that world. I, boy, boys, merchandise driven, entertainment so power rangers is, is live action and some of the shows that we worked on there were live action but we also did a lot of animation too and so um after that i, I worked at disney for a couple of years i actually worked in business and legal affairs at disney as a legal assistant uh <clears throat> and then um then went to work for a korean animation studio um i was their la person that everybody else worked in Seoul, but I was, I, I ran their LA presence and um, I was responsible for pretty much anything that required a native English language speaker. I, I took charge of so anything from contract negotiations to um, language, um, language localization because they would create a lot of content in Korean and then we would have to either dub it or subtitle it for other markets. And then I had to negotiate deals for distribution and so forth. So it was a lot of different things. But um, getting that start in Frank's office on Power Rangers and all the Bandai properties, that was a very good education, I guess. It was like a specialized kind of film school because making kids content is different than making stuff for grown-ups because of all the merchandise that's involved. Yeah, for sure. So I'm going to ask the elephant question in the room. Okay. Are, you a big, are you a big Power Ranger fan or like a big Sonic fan or those? No. Just <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. No, I mean, I have come to love them. I, I've come to love all my children, uh, all of my, my, my screen children. <clears throat> but I can't say that I was born as a fan of that. Uh, mm -hmm. I did play games. I played video games when I was younger and I, I enjoyed them. But I liked the brainier ones like Carmen San Diego and yeah. Scrabble, Jeopardy, <laughs> those yeah. types of things. And I remember telling somebody at one point when I was younger, like, oh yeah, I'm a gamer. I, I play Scrabble every day. And the, the person I was talking to was like, that's not a gamer. And I was like, yes, it absolutely is because it's a game. And then there was an argument ensued and I probably lost because I'm terrible at conflict, but Anyway, yeah, my my personal taste in entertainment is is not that I I, I like a good cartoon. I like a, I like good animation, but 
what I love more than that is um, stand-up comedy and um, female-driven stuff. I'm like the girliest girl you'll ever meet. So um, I don't really like Power Rangers does not speak to that aspect. Of right. Me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally I get that because I think I love that though. Like you would argue, Scrabble is a game. Like I, it is. I love that. Right. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like I played like Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto. Like those were my games, right? Mm -hmm, and it's, mm -hmm. it's, so much has changed since then. Like Halo, right? Halo used to be really big. So like so much has changed since then. But I <laughs> I have two daughters, right? I have a three and a two-year-old. Oh. And they've recently gotten into the Powerpuff Girls, which is what we were for Halloween, right? And oh, I forgot how like great that show is. So I'm oh, like, yeah, so remade it. I didn't even realize they had remade it. So oh, I'm yeah. sitting here and I'm like, this isn't the theme song I remember. And then I kicked it back old school, you know, to the OG. And I was like, yeah, this is it, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember all of those and I love, I love those. So like in terms of, you know, cartoons and stuff, but you mentioned that you love comedy, okay? And I am a huge fan of that because I always claim on here, Greg always, you know, Greg likes to give me a bunch of crap, but I am the comedic relief. I laugh at myself. I tend to think I'm funny. But who is your favorite comedian? Oh, well, my favorite of all time is Carol Burnett. She yes. is just legendary. And um, as far as I'm concerned, nobody can touch her, her talent. And then as a close second, is Vicki Lawrence, who mm. uh, was also on the Carol Burnett show. And um, and I really respect the two of them, especially Vicki Lawrence, because she, when she was a very young woman, she played elderly characters. She played the character of Mama on the Carol Burnett show and also on the show Mama's Family for a number of years. And Truth be told, that is my talent as an actor. When I when I was in high school, um, and my high school drama teacher had to write letters of recommendation for me and other other seniors, you know, trying to get into drama school, he wrote on my letter, "Marlene is adept at playing the elderly," and um, so. There aren't many people who have that talent, so um, it, it's hard also to get cast when you're not uh, when when you're not authentically elderly, and and that's your talent. So I always love the fact that Carol Burnett and Vicki Lawrence, a big chunk of their careers was um, entailed playing playing these unusual characters. I found that relatable so um yeah i love them i love that i love that i asked that because i was packing yesterday to come to my mom's that's all her fabric in the background and i was watching the gabriel netflix special you know he goes by by fluffy and i just forgot like just sitting down and like watching a you know a comedy skit or anything like that how just like I don't know, to me, it was so therapeutic and like de-stressing. Yeah. I was like, man, this is so great. So you mentioned that and I was like, man, I wonder who yeah. yours are. But yeah, oh, no, yeah. Those, those two are, I don't feel like anyone will ever come anywhere near them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess I should have, I, I love stand-up comedy as well as sketch and I, pretty much anything, any kind of comedy I like. But as far as um, watching 
comedy specials on Netflix and so forth. Um, I really like uh, Ricky Gervais and um, Jerry Seinfeld and Kevin Hart. And um, yeah. and I like Tina Fey too. She's not a stand-up, but I think she's very talented as well. I, I have to say I have a little bit of a grudge because I feel like she's having the career that I should have had. But um, but I can I, I can um, you know I'm not going to begrudge her success. I think it's well deserved. So <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Makes sense. Like that could have been me. Could exactly. have been me. No, I totally under. I tell Greg all the time because when I'm not on this show or I have to be really comfortable with people. But I do, I do accents and stuff. So I tell Greg all the time, like, I have missed my con. I should have been a voiceover actor and everything. And so I tell him all the time, he's like, well, it's never too late. And it's kind of one of those, like, no, I'm just going to bask in everyone else's voiceover success and pretend it's me. It just works wonders for me in my mind, you know? <laughs> I manipulate myself and persuade myself that that is me that's doing them. So, no, I totally, I understand that a hundred percent. So... I have this question, Greg, and it's it's bothering me. So I'm gonna ask you, Marlene. But did you just because I'm I'm very like I'm fascinated, but I'm like envious of the team. Like when you decided to like pursue acting and stuff, did you just like pack everything up and like move to California and move to LA or were you like did you have things lined up first or anything? I'm I'm envious of those that are kind of like nomads. They're just like, I'm just going to go here and we're going to do it. You know, I'm not that kind of person and I wish I was. So I, I'm dying to know that. Well, I always wanted to be an actress. So like I was born this way. Uh, when I was a, a baby, I would tell my parents, only I'm on the stage. You're in the audience. So oh, I love it. <laughs> so I, I, I some, some, and it, it's very strange because I don't really come from a show business family. I was born in New Orleans. There wasn't show business around me, but my my parents did take me to a lot of children's theater. So I think that might have rubbed off. And um, mm. and I loved I watched a lot of TV. So but I so when I was I, I when I was about three, I started asking my mom about Sesame Street because I wanted to be on Sesame Street. And we'd drive by the PBS affiliate in our town and my mom would say something about like, oh, Sesame Street. And I was like, well, can we go in there? Like, can I do it? And then my mom had to try to explain to me that it wasn't, you know, she had to, in her, in her way, she had to try to explain it. So then I understood that I needed to move elsewhere to, to pursue it, but, um, uh, I, I pr tried to find show business as much as I could in New Orleans. And um, at a certain point in my life, more things started to film, do location filming there. So, you know, I had a little bit of that. But, but I always did theater and um, tr tried to do what I could in my surroundings. But um, I wanted to go to college out of state. I wanted to move to Los Angeles for college. But for a variety of reasons, I didn't do that. So then I was like, okay, for graduate school, I am moving. I'm going to either New York or Los Angeles. And um, and San Diego State was my safety school. Okay. And uh, so I went and I auditioned at all these schools 
didn't get in any of them except for San Diego State. So I was like, well, okay, I guess that's where I'm going. So that that's where I went. And um, that eased the transition a bit because then I was in school here and uh, was able to establish residency, which is important for tuition purposes. Anyway, After a year, I didn't have to pay. I, I only had to pay one year of out-of-state tuition instead of two years of out-of-state tuition. Um, nice. And then when when I was in school at SDSU, my colleagues and I, my classmates, we'd, we'd drive up to LA to see shows. We'd audition for stuff sometimes. And, um, and also uh, toward the end of my program, I was interviewing for jobs and, and so forth. So, so um, now I did briefly move back to New Orleans during an, uh, an existential crisis early on. Um, I, it was again, a variety of reasons that caused this. I went back to New Orleans for a year and a half and I quickly regretted it. So, um, so I tried to make the best of that year and a half. And, and then I was just like, I'm going back and I'm going back to LA, not San Diego, not Orange County, not anywhere else. I'm going to LA and I am not going to leave no matter how bad it gets. I will do whatever it takes. And so then, so then I came, came back and that was another, I, I, I had a couple of cross country moves, which were unpleasant, but, um, anyway, I did that and then, you know, I've been here ever since. And that was a long, long time ago. Yeah. So. I love that though. Cause you know, you have like your passion, you pursued it and you figured out ways to make it. And then, you know, doing what you're doing today, you got, you know, from doing like going through a temp agency and just landing where you were, you know, meant to be. So things just happen, which I, I cured that. Not okay. I'm going to take that back. Not that I talked to a bunch of people in like Hollywood or anything, because I don't. But that tends to be like the story that I hear is like, you know, it was just like an opportunity that happened and you just stumbled into it and you do all those things. And so like, you never really know what's going to come about from something, you know, where you that's true. That's true. And when, I, when I got that temp job, I had no idea that the toy industry was so closely linked to show business. I had no idea that that was a thing. And um, so, so I learned that, and then that opened up more opportunities for me, be just because I was aware of it. And and also, I learned that most major media companies from other countries have some kind of a presence in Los Angeles, a branch office, or if they don't have an actual office, they'll have a representative or freelancers who are working with them in various capacities. And so if you think, if you consider all the opportunities that exist that are not just the American companies that everybody's heard of, there mm -hmm. are a lot of opportunities out there. And most of my career has been working for companies that are overseas. So I've worked for a number of Japanese companies, Korean companies, worked for a Jordanian company, um i'm working with an indian company now so um you know and that that was another thing that i had no idea I, w when i was growing up and when i was in school i had heard of the same big media companies that everybody's heard of and those are the places that i thought oh well if i get an office job 
it'll probably be at one of those places. And the only really traditional place that I worked for a couple of years was Disney. Otherwise, um, it's it's all been international companies with a, a, a branch office in LA. Yeah, that's so cool though. Like your resume is so cool though, because you mentioned you know, the company that brought the Power Rangers over and then Sega and then Disney and all of these other ones, you know, that you've been a part of or you've worked out even temporarily. I mean, that is just outstanding in and of itself. Like, I just, I don't, I find those things to be so fascinating, you know, like not even if what you were doing there is fascinating. Even if you were just like a character, I'm like, that is the coolest thing. Yeah. Wow, thanks. I need to get you to talk to my parents because they still don't understand what I'm doing. But. It's one of it's one of those things. I don't know. I'm a very firm believer that like everything that you go down, like I have a degree in psychology, okay? And I was going on the path of doing clinical psychology. I wanted to work with like inmates and, you know, I really wanted to study their brain you know, primarily serial killers, like, or just killers in general. Okay. So, I love that. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's what I've just, I thrive on. I love that. I want to know what makes their like brain tick differently than ours. Like that's the whole like thing I was on. Right. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be in school like till I die. It's my thing. And then I got married. My husband wanted to go back to school. And so then all that went on. So now I'm in like book marketing, right? Like completely opposite. I've been doing it for such a long time now, but it's like just cool things like evolve. Like, I don't feel like I use my degree every day, but I'm very good with people. So maybe, that, maybe I do. I don't know. Oh, but I mean, yeah. it's, it's so cool. Like different seasons and stuff and what life really brings about. So I'm telling you, I, I think it's the coolest thing. When Greg told me you were coming on and all this stuff, I was like, this is going to be such a fun, cool conversation. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I, I can I, I can put a, a glossy spin on it for, for the interviews and so forth, but it, it is a struggle. Like every no one's life is easy. I really and the the more I the older I get and the more I work in the business and, and the more people with name value who I encounter, I realize that they're having struggles too. It's just it's just they're presenting a certain angle of themselves to the public and you might not be aware but um but it is it is it is interesting and uh one of my favorite expressions is taking lemons and making lemonade yes and uh i feel like that's that pretty much encapsulates my career because i gotta tell you i was not jumping for joy when i landed at the power rangers company i was like this is humiliating I cannot tell people that I work on the worst TV show ever. Like the production value is embarrassing. Like I considered myself to be an artiste. I, I studied oh. broadcasting and performance and, uh, you know, um, every, all the bells and whistles that go into making fine artistic works of, of, of media. And uh, Power Rangers was not it. It did not fit my standards. And so I was like, oh God, this is humiliating. And um, pretty much every minute that I was working at that company, I was looking for another job. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had to do a lot of uncomfortable things there. Um, part of my job, which I didn't realize that I signed up for until I got there was doing personal errands and so forth for my boss. Uh, and yeah. so I was like picking up laundry and buying 
presence and getting kids from school while I was negotiating contracts and dealing with writers and producing uh, video and whatnot. And um, that's another thing that I didn't, I, I didn't think I would come out of school with a master's degree, a, a terminal degree. You can't get any higher than a master of fine arts in performance. So I had a chip on my shoulder and then here's somebody telling me to go get coffee and pick up his dry cleaning. I mean, <laughs> that, <laughs> and uh, a certain bit of that has, has persisted. I mean, it's so like, again, I can put a positive spin on things and, but there have been lots of uh, two steps forward, a hundred steps back. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that also happens to people. I read a really uh, interesting, funny story about the actress Shelley Winters, and this this sort of encapsulates that that whole uh, you know few steps forward, a million steps back. She, at some point in her career, at, toward the end of her career, she was back to auditioning, just like any journeyman actor would have to do. And uh, so she had an audition for a film. I don't even know what it was. And they asked, she showed up at the audition and they said, we need your photo and resume. And she's like, well, I'm Shelly Winters. And they're like, yeah, we still, we need, we don't know who you are. And she was older at that point. So she left, she came back with her two Oscar statues. And she's like, this is my photo. This is my resume. Oh, wow. <laughs> And <laughs> I don't know if she was cast or not, but um, when I read that story, I was like, good Lord. I mean, you would think a lady with two Oscars, th that's it. That's all she wrote. You know, that your life is set and you're you're on easy street for the rest of, of your life, basically. Right? Yeah. But, but no. <laughs> and uh, I know, I know Shelly Winters has a reputation for being quite a spitfire, but good grief. I mean, if that was me, if I was a two-time Oscar winner, having it, having some, you know, uh, kid asking me for my photo and resume, hell yeah, I'd go home and get my Oscars and slam them on the table too. I'm yeah. telling you, do you not know my resume? Cause here it is. Oh, okay. I love that. I love I that story. That's awesome. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? That's so I'm, I'm just dying for my moment to go. Here's my resume. Here's there you my go. Resume. I just yes. need the Oscars, though. I don't know. It's coming. <laughs> it's coming, though. I'm telling you, that is the ultimate. That is the best. I love that. I that is. <laughs> I'm gonna do that to you, Greg. I'm gonna take the awards that I want. Just be like, here it is. Okay. Take that. Oh, I love it. Can, mm -hmm. can I throw mine back at you? No. 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 At your own risk, Greg. At your own risk. <laughs> yeah. She'll, she'll, she's one known to slice throats. So. No, don't scare her. I have not <laughs> I've not hurt anybody by slicing nothing of them. Don't scare Marlene. I'm he doesn't mean it. Okay. I am hurt like harmless. Okay. They That's did okay. they let me out today. They let me out today. Okay. It's it's all right. I'm not scared. Uh look, I survived Paul McCartney. I'm pretty sure you're not Okay. That. You're I not feel a lot better. Me, so <laughs> I feel a lot better. I, I truly do. I'm like, yeah, no, this is good. This is good. I like it. 
That's a good one. <laughs> oh, but I do want to thank you for coming on our show today. My pleasure. Thank yeah. you for inviting me. It's been really it was fun. Actually, yes, it was very quite a learning experience, learning all the aspects. I don't <laughs> think we've ever had this aspect on our show, which was quite interesting. So oh, wow. Well, that's that's great. I, th thank you. Thank you for uh, listening to my voluminous commentary. <laughs> inventing is actually what it was, I, I suppose. It was uh, inventing. I mean, it's basically like a panel that you would find at a comic con so it's very informative and a learning experience for anybody I, who watches. I, I had the best of time i have learned so much I, yes awesome and me and marlene have so much in common we put fires out so it's great exactly exactly it's different fires but the same technique mm -hmm. exactly yep. i like it but again, I would like to thank you for being on our show. And we don't have a show next Tuesday because I'm actually getting the procedure done. So our next show would be, is it Thursday next week? Yeah, it's Thursday next week. So until Thursday, everybody, adios.